Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and today I have an excellent guest. Her name is Claire Worth. She is running for Congress in Kentucky, the 4th District, and she has been a foster mom. She adopted her foster daughter July 7th of 2021. She has had her from birth. She was born dependent and was alone for four weeks in the NICU before she was called by CPS. She named this child Hannah and adopted her just before her second birthday. For a short time, she also had her brother, but he was returned to his grandma, whom he has a deep bond with. She advocates for foster children and biological parents. In many situations, she stood in the gap for pregnant moms that were dependent and in need of assistance getting checked into facilities so that upon birth of their child, they could then keep their baby and get on with health path of sobriety. She has seen horrible custody battles play out. The worst she's actually seen, an active case now where a local female pediatrician, Dr. Stephanie Russell, is living a nightmare in Judge Brown's courtroom in Louisville, Kentucky. And Stephanie was in an abusive relationship. Stephanie has two little kids, aged three and five, the judge who is biased and has a long track record of taking the mother's custody away, is now zeroed in and gave custody to Stephanie's now ex-husband, despite claims made of the, by the male child, age five, of sexual abuse. CPS has turned their head and refuses to investigate. Meanwhile, this young child suffers most likely daily, and that's very, very sad. And I'm very glad to have you, Claire, on my podcast because you were also in a convention with Kimberly Lowe, who's running for Congress in Virginia. So I totally appreciate you coming on my show. And uh, how are you doing today? Awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well this morning. Actually, my two-year-old, my two-year-old is upstairs with a babysitter. So if we hear her little, you know, her little voice, that's a, that's a possibility. <laughs> oh, that's okay. <laughs> so uh, you must be very busy. Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always constant, right? I have um, four biological children and I was blessed enough to adopt Hannah this year. So actually, on July 7th, she became the seventh member of our family. Um, you know, so I'm so grateful to God for everything he's done and to be able to adopt Hannah. She's just one of 9,400 children in Kentucky's foster care system. Um, again, not all of them need to be adopted, but they all do and deserve to be loved by somebody. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very important that we raise awareness, you know, for our foster care system, not just in Kentucky, but, but nationally, where there are 400,000 children in care. Um, you know, and so I do just want to make people aware that I think when people get involved with foster care and, and, um, you know, sticking up for children in care to realize that I don't come at it from one angle. I've seen injustice in the foster care system, um, from a biological parent standpoint. And I've also seen it from a foster parent standpoint mm -hmm. and also CPS worker standpoint. So when we talk about foster care reform, you know, that is going to be, it's a very difficult issue because it's never one-sided. There's injustice on all sides. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's, you know, it's important to remember that. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of parents, you know, you're on Facebook and you're watching this and parents are saying that <clears throat> these kids are taken away and 
they're taken away from loving homes. <clears throat> I apologize. And they're, you know, from their loving families and they're thrown into foster care for Title IV-E funding and incentives. Yeah, I mean, that does happen. And that's the injustice on that side. And then other times I've seen children that are very abused with, you know, broken bones and I've severely neglected and they are left in their biological homes. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so it's never one-sided, but I, it, it's a crisis on all fronts, right? Mm -hmm. It just, we need to clean house and start over because what we're doing now is not working. Right. Um, I, I've seen such injustice and it's so frustrating for sure. And it seems like, I know in Kentucky, I can't say this for every state just because I've been, I mean, I live in Kentucky and I'm very involved here, but Louisville, Kentucky in particular, oh man, <laughs> that I'm glad that I never had to deal with the system in Louisville because I mean, it is severely broken. Um, CPS there, can't say all of them because that's, that's not fair, but a lot of those workers have no business being in, you know, working with children or around children mm -hmm. at all. And um, Judge Brown, uh, <laughs> who has taken custody away from uh, Dr. Stephanie Russell, um, it's, it's horrendous. And there's a child there, a young child mm -hmm. who, you know, is being abused and everyone seems to be turning their ear and you've got a mother screaming out, trying to advocate for her child. And, um, you know, <laughs> and she can't do anything. It's very frustrating. No matter what lawyer she gets, it does not matter. Mm -hmm. The judge has just zeroed in on her. And I think we're mm -hmm. seeing that around the nation. Are you seeing other stories similar to this? Oh, very much so. And it seems like they'll take a target parent, the one that they think can make the most money so they can make them a non-custodial parent and they'll mm. have to pay child support. Mm. I, I think that's a motive. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... No, I think that is a motive and you, it's extremely hard to hold judges accountable. Mm. Um, and Stephanie is saying that, you know, she's, how do, how do I hold this judge accountable? What, what do you do? What are the steps you take towards that? I mean, this mm -hmm. particular judge has had other complaints. Um, she's filed with the bar association. She, you know, ethics issues and it just never seems to go anywhere. Um, so until somebody stands up and it creates a pathway to actually hold judges accountable, we're just going to keep seeing this. And it's, it's frustrating. And our elected officials have such a platform, right? This is something that really bothers me. Our elected officials have this huge platform to get so much done, especially to speak like issues like this. Mm -hmm. And they, they don't, <laughs> they simply grandstand with, you know, silly tweets they've made and things that don't really matter or affect us or make frivolous lawsuits. And it's just, it's very frustrating for the average person because that doesn't benefit us. Something that would benefit us is a way to hold judges accountable when they do make horrendous decisions like this. Well, it's so difficult to hold even attorneys and judges accountable because you get a letter back saying it wasn't unethical enough to do anything with them. Say, for instance, right. when a judge doesn't look at evidence, but yet rules the evidence irrelevant, and you, it's just not, they're not right. doing their jobs, and they just are Teflon. They're Teflon. Well, they just move the goalpost, right? 
-hmm. what is bad enough? What qualifies? Where's the bar? <laughs> what qualifies mm -hmm. is bad enough? I mean, I've seen horrible things and it's never quite reaches bad enough. So if they just laid out the rules, maybe a little more clearly, what is considered bad enough? You just keep moving the goalposts a little mm -hmm. bit farther each time. And you know, what is the driving force? It's always money. Mm -hmm. There's always somebody getting paid off. There's always money involved. And uh, you know, it's just the, that old saying, you follow the money and <laughs> therein lies the problem, right? Right. So um, that it's unfortunate that so many children are the sacrificial lamb uh, for these issues. How sad. And being, being given to the abuser is mm. just, I don't know what these judges, you know, I, it's all, it's all money. Like you said, yeah. he zeroed in on this pediatrician and he's, well, she must make a good Oh, income. she's actually a female judge. It's a female judge, Brown. Oh, sorry. Judge. I should have clarified oh. that. I should have oh, clarified sorry. that. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. But you know, even these female judges can be very vindictive because, I mean, I've had one myself. I understand that they somehow zero in on you. Maybe they don't like your looks or maybe that you remind them of someone who, you know, gave them a hard time in high school. I don't know. But they take a target parent and they will just uh, abuse them. Oh, for sure. And what's interesting about Judge Brown is that there was another female doctor. I think she was a psychologist. Um, I think I have to clarify that. Um, and she did the same thing to her. And she took her children and she actually, you know, she threw in jail for a couple of days because the child, when they went to exchange children, um, you know, she had to give the child to the spouse for a couple of days. The child would not get out of the car. She just would not leave. And she was like, you know what? I'm not going to give you to your dad because you're not getting out of the car. You feel unsafe. I'm not going to make you do that. And the judge held the mother responsible, Judge Brown did, and put her in jail for a few days. Um, so you, we're not even allowed to protect our own children. I can't imagine knowing, you know, my child was going to be abused and forcing them to get out of a car. You know, it's just, <laughs> there's oh. no justice sometimes. It's very frustrating. Definitely. Uh, I had almost the same situation, but mine were older. They were like 15, 16, and they were refusing to go back. And uh, I, I called the state police just to cover my, you know, mm -hmm. but, but uh, and this state policeman, he was just very rude. And he says, I don't care if he's 160 pounds, you pick him up and put him in your car. I'm going, I have a bad back. I have, you know, I've been a nurse. I've got degenerative disc disease. I can't lift anybody. Okay. And he right? didn't care. He, he, he almost, he was actually laughing at me. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's horrible. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. There's so many cases like this. Something is going to have to be done. And um, I don't know. I hope that, that we can get something done. Mm -hmm. Something has got to be done with family court reform. And some of these family court judges also run child support hearings and de novo hearings. I don't know if you call them wow. de novo hearings there, but um, it's when you go to dispute the child abuse amounts and you go before this judge who is also a family court judge. Wow. It's just it's very like a little bit of a conflict of interest there. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, hmm. There's a lot of reform that has to happen. And how are you trying to manage that in your campaign? 
um, just bringing awareness, right? And so I've been talking a lot about how I have um, a foster child and just trying to bring awareness. There's a lot of pain on all sides with this issue. Mm -hmm. um, there is, you know, over 700,000 constituents in my district. And I know there's a lot of pain on all sides. And so it, it's frustrating. Um, it's hard for all people. There was somebody upset that I was a foster parent because they had been through such an awful thing. But just mm -hmm. trying to bring awareness that, you know, it's it's on all sides. Mm -hmm. Everyone has suffered from this. Um, I'm not oblivious to this fact. I want to do something about it. Um, let me be a voice for the people. I think, you know, one of the things is people just feel unheard. And Stephanie Russell is a great example of that. She just feels like she's trying so hard and she's tried to reach out to elected officials. Nobody will listen to her. She just feels unheard. And she spent, I mean, well over hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to get her children back. It's been a little over a year since she's lost her children and she's going broke doing it and nobody will listen to her. And so I'm just trying to tell people I'm an advocate. I want to hear you. We need to do something about this. You know, I don't turn a blind ear to it. Um, just drawing awareness to, you know, this is an issue. I don't hear any public servants talking about this, which is concerning. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you know anyone that's elected that is bringing awareness or attention or trying to do something about this issue? I think you're the first one. I think besides Kim. Yeah, Kimberly, Kimberly Lowe. Lowe. Actually, <laughs> Kimberly Lowe got to ask, um, we were at a Donald Trump's Christmas party. And she actually asked Donald Trump uh, this question about what he was going to do about reform. And he said that he was working on it, you know, before his term, um, before it ended. So, I mean, mm -hmm. that, that was a step in the right direction. And it was very bold of her to, to say it. And you could mm -hmm. hear the passion in her voice. So um, between the two of us going to DC, one of us has to win, right? And <laughs> try to make mm -hmm. some change. But it, even if you know, we don't win on a local level. I think there are things that we can do in each state uh, to try to absolve this issue, try to work towards a goal. And it's a difficult goal because you have parents, like you said, coming at you saying, you know, well, this horrible thing happened to me and these children were taking, taken unjustly from me, put into mm -hmm. foster care where this and that happened. And of course, we know there's bad foster care parents out there. We, we see it on Facebook mm -hmm. all the time. You know, not, not that Facebook is a national news because now they're censoring people, but you know, it's, it's, it's being presented, but there are good foster parents that are needed, such as yourself, that, that really care about these abused children. Right, I mean, and I, I hate to even say this because I'm sure I know in my region, which is the Salt River Trail, that is my region where I do foster care in Kentucky. Every, and I'm sure there's people who've had the exact opposite experience. So I can't speak for everyone, but I can speak for myself. Um, the CPS workers that we had were phenomenal. I mean, we had home inspections constantly. Um, and when COVID hit, right, they would do FaceTime. They actually asked for um, the layout of my house, the, the actual architecture plans of my home. And that way, when they went through the home, they knew exactly where to go. And they checked both sides of the door to make sure that we weren't, you know, there weren't locks on the outside of the doors because people, mm -hmm. you know, could lock children in. So, I mean, they were very, they were very thorough. And man, when they came over, I mean, they checked my plugs to make sure there was the little pop, you know, protectors over each plug. They were very thorough with everything they did. But mm -hmm. I know in Louisville, it's the exact opposite situation. You know, it's a free-for-all. It's, it's horrendous. 
Mm-hmm. So you have these good and bad pockets and it's just, it's just a mess. We need foster care reform. We need family court reform. Um, it, it's got to happen. And we have midterms coming up. Um, no matter who you're voting for on, on what side of the aisle, it doesn't matter, Democrat or Republican. Um, it's important to make sure that this is an issue that they are concerned about. I, it, does, it should not have anything to do with political affiliation. It should have to do with this is the right thing to do. Definitely. Um, do you feel CPS should be abolished and something else put in its place that's more competent? A hundred percent. When the government gets involved in anything, they tend to mess it up. And so um, this is an excellent example. And it, it, it does. We need something different, um, something that has actual structure to it. I feel like they're kind of also one of those people who move the goalpost and kind of make rules up as they go along. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And that is incredibly unhelpful, especially as like a biological parent when you're trying to get your children back and you can't because they're constantly like, well, did you do this, this, and this? And it's like, well, you never told me about what you never told me about that. So we're constantly, now I'm another month away from getting my kids back. And we'll see when that time comes, if there's other things you want to throw on my care plan to try to get my children back. So it needs to be more clear, you know, and the judges, I mean, that's a whole bag of chips because holding them accountable is something that I'm really concerned about. I am, some of them are very good friends with the CPS agents. So the judge will just go along with whatever CPS says. Mm -hmm. Um, So (laughs) how do you fix that? It's deep rooted. It's also deep rooted into the federal courts. Mm-hmm. as far as even into deep into the appellate courts. Yeah. I mean, you don't see very many cases getting turned over, right? Mm-hmm. And they always tell you that, you know, if, if the children do get taken away and they are, for what, whatever happens, you can take it to the appellate court. The appellate court's turnover rate is extremely low. Uh, family court, the same thing. I know Stephanie Russell is, I need to check in with her on how she's doing, but I, I told her Judge Brown is probably not going to change her mind and you're going to have to take it to the appellate court, which is frustrating because they're, they're only supposed to look for any mistakes that they think the judge has made. And when mm-hmm. they stack the case just right, it's very hard to find those mistakes. Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, I, I hope she prevails. The, the thing that is troublesome is so much time away from her children Mm-hmm. going to take place and that abuser is going to continue that along with um, coercive control and Stockholm syndrome these kids to possibly fear the mother well let me tell you that's exactly what has happened so she is able to see her last time I checked um, once a week and she goes to a facility and you know they watch her with her children in this facility, and her son is angry. He, he's just a little kid, and he's angry with his mother um, because it is. It's like Stockholm syndrome. He's convinced this little boy that his mother is bad, and so it just breaks her heart. And to see her cry because you know she'll call me and just cry and cry because her son it, it, he he'll like hit her and say, "This is your fault, mommy. You did this to my daddy." And you know, he's just been completely brainwashed. He's too young to know what, what actually happened and the trauma that's going to be with him for a very long time. And Stephanie Russell's a doctor, so she's very, 
in tune to what is about to happen next with those children. And it's frightening. And you know what's interesting about Stephanie Russell's case is that so her and her husband married later on in life and he could no longer have children. So she actually, um, what is it called? Like she went to a sperm bank, right? right? So those children are actually adopted children from a sperm donor with her egg. And so they're not even actually his biological children. And she wasn't even married to him when they had the last child, who's just a little girl. And still, <laughs> it's just an interesting case. They're mm -hmm. not even actually his biological children, and yet it, it doesn't seem to matter. So, Which begs the question, is he just out for child support? Is he? Yes. And I think that might be an issue. Right. And he's in his mid-50s, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So taking care of two young children in his mid-50s, and he's abusing them, and the courts won't listen. And how many Stephanie Russells are there? There's probably a lot. I know she feels very alone, um, but I'm guessing you hear this kind of thing quite often. Definitely. I, I also think they should do something with Title IV-D funding. It's a billion-dollar business. You know, I understand these states are making so much money off of the child support dollar. And these taxpayers don't even understand this. They don't even know this is going on. Right. I mean, it's just the government. When they get involved, when they find a way to make any money, they will hone in on it, even, you know, sacrificing our children and their families doing so. They don't seem to care. So that's why we need new people in Washington. I really feel like no matter what affiliation you are politically, you need to understand the people you're voting for aren't, I don't think any of them are making a big enough difference. Not just in this respect, but most. Um, we cannot keep electing the same people and expecting a different result. So if you want to see change, if you want to see good things happen, then you need to not keep electing your same career politician. You need to elect somebody, a constituent that's like me and you that cares about real issues. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is the taxpayer, the public, they'll just go to the polls and, well, we've had that congressperson or Senate person for years. I'm just, just and, and they're Republican or they're Democrat. I'm just going to vote for them. They're not looking into, and this is what I also feel judges should be doing is looking deep into cases and not be biased, not be, um, they're too quick to judge. People have to look at both sides of the coin. Even when we go to vote, we have to look at, at what we're, who we're voting for and what they're for. Right. And another great thing is see where they're getting their money from guys. Go to the FEC. You can go to the FEC's website really quick and just type in whatever political candidate that you're thinking about voting for or the ones you have voted for and see where and how they're getting their money. Um, it's just interesting to me, you know, the, every quarter you have to put out your FEC filings. And so my opponent, for instance, is using campaign money, um, $1,400 a night at the Ritz-Carlton. So the average income in my district is about $67,000. So anyone that's donated 20 bucks to this guy and he's staying at the Ritz Carlton, if you want to stay at the Ritz, by all means, but don't do it on my back, you know, <laughs> don't do it on our dime of what we've, you know, contributed to you. So you can make a difference in Washington and this is how you're spending the money. And it's not just him. It's, it's pretty much all of them, no matter mm -hmm. what political affiliation they are. So 
So you need to look, where is the money coming from? And therein lies the issue. Show me where you spend your money and that's where your heart is. Mm -hmm. Um, just remember those things when you go and vote Democrat or Republican, you know, either way, you still need to look at where they're spending their money and what they're spending their money and time on. Oh, most definitely. People don't know these things. And, you know, I would rather vote for someone who's speaking out for the family unit Mm -hmm. and wanting change and not just some career, somebody who's been there for years. There's got to be change. There has to be. And they always run on the same things, right? Like this time I'm going to lower taxes and I'm going to Washington to fight for you. The Mm -hmm. same bubblegum type thing every single time. But you know Mm -hmm. what, if you've been there for a decade or or Mm -hmm. two or whatever, then, and we haven't seen any real change, then it's time for for them to go. Um, It's time to speak out for our children who don't have a voice. Mm -hmm. It's time to speak out for these families who have suffered um, so greatly. Um, it's time that somebody goes in and does something. And it was so refreshing. I cannot believe I had never met Kimberly Lowe before that night. And um, we were doing a Facebook live actually. And she said, uh, oh, during my Facebook live, I said, I was going to be on your show. And she goes, you know, Marianne. I said, oh yes, I'm going to be on her show next week. And she was, <laughs> she is just a bulldog. Let me tell you when she asked her, pre- uh, the president a question, I mean, she was very, you know, you could just tell that she's going to be one of those people that goes to Washington. And um, it's going to start flipping over tables. <laughs> right. She wants <laughs> exactly fixed. what we need. Yeah. Yes. She, wants, she wants something done. And this is what we need. And a lot of parents with young children should be voting for someone like Kim and you because you're for the family. And um, these career politicians, all they do is talk about taxes and lowering taxes and then raising taxes. And, and, and then they raise the debt ceiling and then they never right. do it. And then they vote on things that are outrageous. You know, these omnibus bills that have all this hidden stuff in it. They can get all this crazy stuff passed. Why can't they do something for the families? Right. You know, they can, <laughs> they can fund, you know, the breeding of minnow fish and spend a billion dollars on it, but they can't do something for the American family and the 400,000 children that's growing in foster care. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of amazing. It Mm -hmm. it begs the question why. Mm -hmm. Now, I know there was a letter, I believe it was 2018 letter to Trump about separating the children at the border and how destructive this is to the, the child. And you know, someone, you know, had said, well, you know, what about our children here being separated from the parent? And no one's doing anything about it, but they're more concerned over children being separated from their parents at the border. Right. I, you know, humans are humans, no matter where they come from. And I think Mm -hmm. that's an important thing to remember. The -hmm. children at the border suffer just like our own children suffer. Um, And it's all bad. Mm-hmm. It's all bad. And I know that Melania went to the border and saw it and she was just devastated. I mean, she's mm-hmm. a really good woman and, and she really does care. And it, it's an awful thing. And mm-hmm. I think they, if they could go back and change that, they, they would. I don't condone separating families mm-hmm. in, in any capacity. It's all awful. I've been to the border and it, it is a mess. And the other problem, just if I could speak to it really quickly, is that when we, when we lure people um, to America and say, you know, and now they're offering what, like $400,000 to people that, 
<laughs> come into America. The deal is like you can't lure um, vulnerable individuals and mm -hmm. give them and give them and dangle a hundred dollar bill in front of them and tell them to come and to come here because many of them along the way are trafficked. They are killed. I mean, coyotes have smuggled them. Children are dying from dehydration. I mean, it's disgusting. And we're luring innocent people here. And it's, it's not okay. And I think people feel like it's insensitive when you say things like build the wall. But you can't, but you have to, right? Because mm -hmm. you can't lure people that are vulnerable, you know, that are trying to escape poverty on a horrendous journey, thousands of miles. Um, and many of them die along the way. Mm -hmm. And then expect for everything to be okay. And then cry when they get to the border. It was like, well, you lured them here. That, that was the awful thing to do. So, you know, I stand by Trump when he said we need to build the wall because we can't lure individuals here and see them die and horrible things happen along the way. We could prevent that from happening. We want people to come to the greatest country in the world. We want people to come here, but we need them to do it in a safe way and mm -hmm. in, a, in a legal way. And we need to take care of the children that we have here in America too. And the system is overwhelmed and burdened. Um, and that's a horrible thing. We don't want to see suffering and incapacity. It's, it's awful on all mm -hmm. fronts. Oh, I agree. I completely agree. I just, it, it was on the news that a nine-year-old was making the journey by himself. And when the border patrol found him, he was asking for water. My gosh, border patrol. Uh, it's so awful. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah. I border a couple of months ago and I'm telling you, I don't know how they do this poor child's right. I, that's horrible. I was, I'm not, a, I don't scare easily, which is probably why I'm running for Congress. Right. I'm not easily, <laughs> <laughs> but I was scared at the border. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was scared. Uh, it is a very dangerous place to be. Um, you know, and I would call for every single elected official, Democrat and Republican, to go to the border. They need to show their face there before they vote on anything about the border and the border wall. You need to realize that it is a crisis. Mm -hmm. It is horrible. And if you can see it, if you can feel it, if you can hold these children, if you can see the, that this is a crisis, maybe you'll vote differently to fund the border wall so we can prevent this kind of thing um, from happening. Mm -hmm. it's it's a tragedy the guy i'm running against voted against the border wall three times and it's like you know what we have we are the third highest drug overdose on fentanyl in the country the little girl i have adopted from foster care here in kentucky was dependent on fentanyl and i saw her in the nicu shake and scream and tremble and she was not the only baby they took me into the nicu and it was just this little I don't know. It's like this little pocket, right? And I, they told me what I was going to expect as I was about to see this, ba my baby. And, you know, Claire, she's never really been held, only been held by nurses. Um, she's going to be screaming. She's going to be shaking. Um, she's going to be withdrawing, uh, you know, as so I'm preparing myself. And I walk into this room and there's probably six babies in this room and they're all alone. Mm. And this is at the children's hospital. And <laughs> and they're all in there. They're all, um, you know, they're all born dependent. And it, it's heartbreaking because I was there for five days before she finally was able to come home um, with me. She had been there for four weeks prior. So I was there every day. I would stay all day long and hold her as long as I could because mm -hmm. I hated leaving. I mean, I just cried and cried. I hated leaving her. And um, I never saw moms. Nobody walked in. It was just nurses. And thank God for our nurses. Mm -hmm. because if not for them, 
And then you could just tell that they were very protective over these babies and these drugs are just flowing across the border and hitting our most vulnerable and our most precious. Mm-hmm. And it's awful. And all of these children are going to be in the system that were in that room. Every single one of them. And they're just waiting for a foster parent to answer the call. How sad. It was. It, it's awful. <laughs> you just wonder what the, what the brain damage is going to be from this fentanyl. Yeah. And we, you know, the truth is we don't know. They mm-hmm. just said, you know, hopefully everything is okay. She had a hole in her heart, which didn't have anything to do with the drugs, but I would go to the, the child's card, the pediatric cardiologist and, and talk to them about all kinds of things, including her um, NAS because she was born addicted. And um, they just said, hopefully it all works out. And she's two, she doesn't, she's been meeting milestones, but she's not quite talking yet. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that she escaped escaped a lot of it unscathed, thank God, but not everybody does. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important that we speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. De- uh, definitely, because when I was a nurse, I would get pulled up to the NICU mm-hmm. and you would see this, you know, they were alcohol dependent babies, drug dependent, it was just horrible. Mm-hmm. It's horrible and you don't see parents that's like the most concerning thing is like, mm-hmm. there's no parents. And while they're at the hospital, the biological parent is allowed to see that. Well, where I live, I don't know if that's everywhere, but where I live, um, the biological parent is allowed to stay with the child until they're discharged, even if they found them a foster home. Mm-hmm. So that's, what's concerning is these parents were allowed to go see their baby mm-hmm. and they still weren't. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and you have to, and they suffer too, right? Mm-hmm. These moms, I know, Ugh. when you're dependent, a lot of the times they're an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thanked my daughter's mom. I, I thanked her for, I saw her at a court case and um, I thanked her for choosing life and still choosing life because she's worthy. This, my, mm-hmm. my Hannah is worthy of life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm grateful. I don't care that she was born addicted. She was still worthy and she's still chosen and she's still beautiful. Um, and we need to value all children and, and um, you know, from birth, it, it's, it's important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they want to overturn Roe versus Wade. Yes. <laughs> that has been a big mess for years ago. And right. then they, they want to mess with it again. You know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I actually don't know your political affiliation. <laughs> oh, it doesn't I, matter. So, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. But so I am very, very, very pro-life. So mm-hmm. this for me is a huge win. Um, mm-hmm. I believe that all children are special and important and that we have to support mothers and babies. Mm-hmm. And if we started supporting the mother more when she was pregnant, mm-hmm. um, instead of giving her these kind of options, we wouldn't have issues like this, right? Um, right. I, was a, I was a very young mother. Um, I was in college and uh, became pregnant when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just knew that this was my baby. And despite what my college and my, my peers were telling me, mm-hmm. um, I just knew that this was my baby and, um, and I was never going to let anything happen to her. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful that I had that, um, intuitiveness 
because I cannot imagine life without her. So I'm, I'm huge pro-life and I, I hope we do overturn rivers right now. I hope we support more women and children and, you know, women that are pregnant. We need to rally around them. Mm-hmm. It's hard being pregnant. And I think so many women feel like they can't do it and have been told all of these bad things, but you know what? You can do it. Women are so strong. Mm-hmm. We are so strong. We should not be beaten down. We, we should be told, yes, you are. You're worthy. You can do this. Let me help you. Let's mm-hmm. help each other. Let the women come out and support each other. Mm-hmm. I've never met a mom who regrets keeping her baby. Or, you know what I mean? Whether she had to place that child for adoption mm-hmm. um, I've, or she kept the child and raised it herself or raised the child herself. I've never yet met a mother who regrets doing that ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when I was in nursing school, they had an ethics class. Can you imagine? They should have that for lawyers, like an ethics class. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, and we had to be in, in groups. And they said, you've got to find some controversial issue. So I said, right. hey, let's pick abortion. Oh, gosh. Yeah, right. That's a hot and one. So I, you know, I told the one group member, go to pro-life, get some videos. I'm going to write up some skits on why some people are forced into it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was kind of weird as I look back on it now that I wrote a skit where the mother was telling the daughter, you have to have an abortion. Your father's a judge. This is going to make us look bad. Oh, gosh. That was one of the skits. And then we did, um, you know, other, we provided, you know, information on pro-life and abortion. And also, you know, when a woman goes to abort a baby, what is her mental state afterwards? Mm. You know, it's depression. They go into depression. It's awful. Right. And it's, it's and the thing is, when we were doing our presentation, someone actually walked out of the room. One, one of the students, she just walked out and slammed the door. And so I thought, I wonder what grade we're going to get. <laughs> and we yeah. actually scored 99.9. We got the highest. Wow, that's grade. amazing. Go ahead. Right. <laughs> and I know when you're in college with those issues, they, you know, usually grade harder on. <laughs> well, what was fascinating, which, you know, I was just, I was working for the Dean of Nursing and um, she, I, I was, I had the door open and I was filing something and one of my classmates came by and she said, I didn't know that at seven days of pregnancy, it's moving around already. It's, it, she said, I have three kids of my own and I didn't know that this is all happening in there. It's, it's not life. Yes. Yes. She, and wow. she was very impressed with that. So wow. you know, ed- education is, is the key. So important. Right. I just have a quick story. I remember right after I gave birth to my first child, I was very young. And um, I was actually going to get my hair done. And, and my baby was probably like, I mean, she was probably three weeks old. And I took her with me. And uh, the, there was the woman working at the front desk of the salon. And she's young. Like, she was probably as young as I was. And she's like, do you mind if I hold your baby? And I said, you know, of course. And so she was holding her. And she started crying. And I'll never forget it. And I can remember it so vividly. Her face just turns red. She's crying. Like, what, what's wrong? You know, and she said, my baby would have been this old. And um, her father had forced her to get an abortion. Mm-hmm. And um, I prayed with her and, you know, just, she, you know, she feels awful and like begging God forgives. My like, God forgives you, you know, God loves all people. And mm-hmm. we're not always, you know, sometimes we make decisions that we're not proud of. Um, mm-hmm. But it just broke my heart and it, it never left me because I could feel, I can still feel her pain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <sighs> It's, we, it's 
it's so sad. And we need to be supporting women and telling them that they are enough and they can do it instead mm -hmm. of giving them these horrific options to end the life of their child, which mm -hmm. is it's horrible. I mean, it's absolutely horrible. It is. It is. And also this late term abortion, uh, that, that, that's got to go. That can't that's be That's got to go. I can't even, what kind of person do you have to be uh, <laughs> to want to be in favor uh, no, of this? No. And it's like, you know, I've seen, I've heard of two cases where one woman did, it was a late term abortion and this doctor, he messed up and they had to take her to the emergency room right into surgery. She came out with a colostomy bag because he punctured her bowel. Yes. Then three days later with the same doctor, this other woman comes in with a punctured, I don't know if it was a liver. So it, there were many punctures and oh she died. Gosh. She eventually, she and died she two died. days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's not. It's dangerous. It's, it's yes. on top of it being immoral, which is the yes. obvious thing. It's, it's incredibly dangerous. It's the most disgusting thing I have ever yeah. heard. Yeah. It's, I don't understand how people cannot equate that with murder. I mean, I just don't understand. It doesn't <laughs> make right. any sense. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know how a, a doctor would want to be an abortion doctor. I just don't even understand that. I, I don't. Out of all the professions to choose, I mean, that's, that's like, I mean, that's right up there with Dr. Jekyll. I mean, it's, it's horrible. Right. Right. I mean, you know, in the, this late term abortion, I don't know, you know, who concocted this? Was it Hitler? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's the battle of good versus evil, right? They're taking mm -hmm. advantage of vulnerable women who are, you know, good people. I mean, you can't generalize and say, we don't know what people are facing in their own lives, right? But they have been lured to do these things and they live with that for the rest of their life. And that's what we need to tell women is, you know what they're not going to tell you at the abortion center? They're not going to tell you that you, you could, you know, you will suffer from um, tremendous amounts of regret and depression and all mm -hmm. of these things. It's, they don't tell you that. They say it's easy and, and they kind of, you know, just work on their feelings and try to trick them and lure them to making horrendous decisions that have lifelong effects. And it's, it's horrible. It just, uh, I, you know, I don't know if that will ever change because you've got people saying, well, there's back alley abortions. And I'm thinking back alley, I mean, abortion is should be archaic at this point in time. It, sh it should be ar archaic because there's so many methods of birth control. Right. I know. So, I, I totally agree. So why are we even bothering with this? I mean, yeah. And that's the same logic as they have, like Pete Buttigieg, like legalize all drugs because people are going to do them anyway. Okay. Do we legalize murder because people are going to do it anyway? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the dumbest argument I've ever heard. It can be said for anything and, and we, we can't, <laughs> can't get behind it because people are going to do it anyway. So we, we have to make heroin legal, shooting up heroin on the street because people are going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a bonehead thing to get behind. It doesn't mm -hmm. make any sense. It, it, it really does feel like the battle of good versus evil and moral versus non-moral is mm -hmm. what it comes down to. Yeah, these candidates really should even study their souls. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't, you know, I don't know how they were raised and why they're career politicians, but it, it, being a career politician right there is a red flag. Yeah, for sure. It was never meant to be a career, right? <laughs> right. And so I'm like, why don't you take all of this, you know, they, 
they always, all of them, they're all just alike, Democrat and Republican. They, they think they're the smartest person in the room. They have huge, huge egos. And they use DC as a platform where they can usually party and do mm -hmm. things that have nothing to do with helping or bettering uh, our country or looking out for the American people. They, they you know, they love their, their Ritz Carlton and they love all of these things, but they have no interest in uh, the actual constituency. I mean, you'll be hard pressed to get an email back from your congressman six months later. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just crazy. I actually, there's a group, Christians United for Israel, has been trying to get a hold of Congressman Massey mm -hmm. um, for the entire duration he's been in Congress with no success. Um, and mm -hmm. so it just begs the question, like, what, what do you have going on that's better than this? You know, what do you mm -hmm. have? Why are you not a voice for the people? It's your only job is to be our voice. And the, the children are the future. They're literally destroying future generations when they are taking children from fit parents Absolutely. from this pediatrician. This judge, in fact, a female judge, and this is just kind of just disgusting in itself that she would zero in on a female pediatrician. Um, you know, she, what, what she did was create havoc for that family for the next six generations. Dr. Mark Roseman wrote that when there is, you know, family court problems, and then you've got uh, compounded all this coercive control, what the, the other parent is putting the child through to, mm -hmm. to hate and fear that other parent, this is going to destroy, destroy and disturb six generations. Wow. I mean, I did not know that fact before you just told me. That is incredibly, and that just goes back to the fact that this is good versus evil. That's like a generational curse, right? That's, right. I mean, that's horrendous to have to think about. And without the family, our country is nothing. And I think that there are some members of our Congress who are okay with breaking down the family unit mm -hmm. um, and advocate actually for it. And that's that's a red flag. I mean- the nuclear family is important, and when we try to try to break that down, I mean, we will dismantle our, our country and everything that good that we the founders have laid the baseline for, um, the bedrock of our country. So, I mean, we're just going to have to have good people step in. We always talk about we want change. Well, we need we need we need to get behind that actively. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you know, I had interviewed Dr. Lynn Steinberg, and she wrote the book am I crazy? And it's about, you know, family court and parental alienation. And what happens with all of this, she's very, she's fantastic to, to listen to. She really is. But you know, she explains, I think these judges should listen to her, as well as Dr. Mark Roseman, because he wrote the book Preserving Family Ties. And also, I think the psychologists should also read these two books. There's yeah. psychologists out there that, you know, they may be, uh, they may have gotten a PhD in, say, um, sexual abuse, but they need to know the psychological abuse, which then if you go down that rabbit hole, that judge that sentenced those kids to that abuser from that pediatrician actually committed child abuse. Absolutely. And I just want to be very frank about that. Ex Judge Brown has committed child abuse. I mean, I have, I can't, it just makes me so angry even thinking about it, what that child has to endure on a daily basis. Um, 
just because of one judge. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes me absolutely sick. It breaks my heart thinking about Stephanie. You know, this Christmas, she won't have her children next to her. Um, it, it makes me absolutely sick. It's horrible. Mm -hmm. There are so many, uh, you know, family court, and this is what Judge Judy said, family court is the dumping ground for morons, the judges. Oh, I believe <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the thing is, you know, um, they don't they don't care that they're giving the child to the abuser, but mm -hmm. you know something should be done, and and that's okay. That's unethical. Why can't right. they be thrown off the bench for destroying a family? Yeah, because there's nobody that wants to hold them accountable. It's very frustrating, and I think that's exactly where Stephanie is coming from. I like that you said that book is titled "Am I Crazy?" Because she's getting to the point where she's like, "Well, is it me?" No. I'm like, "No, you know, you have to remind her. No, Stephanie, it's not you. You're, you know, you're a wonderful person. You're a pediatrician. You look after everybody's kids all day. Oh. Um, no, it's not you because you start to feel like you're going crazy after almost a year of a of a horrible battle and." She goes to a court, in court, and they call, tell her all kinds of horrible things, use horrible adjectives to try to label her, you know, this, you know, and depict her in this certain way. I mean, you do start to go crazy, and I think she's getting to the point where she's worn out. Mm -hmm. And I think many people that are just like, well, I, I am worn out, and I know that if this goes to the appellate court, that there's a very slim chance it'll get overturned. And so we need to get behind these families and let them know that, hey, we are here, I hear you. And um, we are advocating for you. And I know help is not coming fast enough. It's not coming fast enough at all. You know, yeah. um, you can work so hard on a, a case for the appellate court and they can just brush it off and just close mm -hmm. it. And these parents are wanting justice. And yeah. that way they can have closure. I don't think there's any way out of this, but to, but getting rid of CPS altogether and starting mm -hmm. something else. I mean, obviously we have to have something. There has mm -hmm. to be something there. There's many, but we do, we need to abolish CPS and we need to start uh, something else and it's going to have to have a new structure and we need to bring in brilliant minds that are reputable people um, to get behind this and, and some child psychologists and just good, vetted good people that can help lay the foundation um, for something that can just completely get rid of CPS. We have to abolish it. I agree. I also think the FBI should be going through every courthouse and cleaning house because there's too much good old boys club in there and favors being done. And right. derailing a parent's case before they even get in there. Oh my gosh. And this is all corruption and this is again wherever the government is involved there's going to be political favors money exchanging hands and how do you really get rid of this i mean we need good people to vet <laughs> to vet out individuals who are um like and even the fbi right mm -hmm. there's a lot of corruption in the fbi and um the atf a lot of corruption there mm -hmm. um all these government agencies are extremely corrupt so for, for having it scares me to have one government agency be in charge of another. <laughs> right, right. That's <laughs> like the, <laughs> the money pit for destruction. It is. It really is. And, and the kids are falling by the wayside. They're being emotionally destroyed. And also, you know, when you give a child to an abuser, 
and a psychological abuser as well, that's also causing the child to actually develop mental illness. I was told that as well. Absolutely. Going to you know, foster care training. So before you become a foster parent, you do a lot of training and talk about, uh, you know, different behaviors you can expect and trauma, how trauma triggers certain behaviors. And so just the emotional abuse that they go through is going to trigger, I mean, a lot of trauma and a lot of depression and a lot of different issues. And these kids need help. They need a lot of different therapies. And I, you wonder if these judges know any of this or care or <laughs> it, I don't know. There's got to be a better answer. What we're doing now is not working. Right. I mean, I've tried talking to judges. They don't want to talk to you. Yeah. So you've tried to reach out and, right. and they won't, they won't have it. No. No, no accountability. They hate being held accountable. Don't you love that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, something hopefully we all can work on um, mm-hmm. getting rid of these family courts or just, just get rid of family court. Yes. And I also think, I, I don't know if you think this is possible, but to track attorneys, say, uh, giving funds to a judge's child's judge campaign. Right. So this should not be allowed, right? Campaign finances is stringent enough on everyone. Why, why is this okay? Right. That way they can have favors done when they've got a, hear, a case that they want to win. That's that what they're doing. Makes a lot. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. It doesn't surprise me at all. Um, it's just deep-rooted corruption. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate it for all these parents, and I just want to let them all know that it, we hear you. Mm-hmm. We hear you. We care. You're not the only ones. This is not your fault. This mm-hmm. is oh, you are the sacrificial lamb of a very broken system, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And so all we can do is advocate and try to send people in that will fix it. Mm-hmm. and speak out against it because you know if we had a, a loud voice sometimes that's all it takes even if they can't get enough um enough people to rally behind legislation to pass legislation if you are loud enough a lot mm-hmm. of this will crumble and mm-hmm. a lot of it is just people ignoring what's going on like they mm-hmm. turn the other cheek nobody's bringing attention to this issue mm-hmm. If they knew they were on watch, if they knew they were being watched and people were, you know, turning an ear, then a lot of this would just stop. Well, you know, I have encouraged people that are, you know, either laid off or they're retired. Why don't you go into a family courtroom with a notepad? You don't have anything better to do with your day, right? Be a court watcher. Oh, yeah. No, that's an excellent thing to do. We need people to do that. We need people to advocate and step up and say, this is what I witnessed. I'm not going to just let this go. I mean, we actually tried going to the media for Stephanie and they would not, Mm-mm. they won't, they won't say a word. And the media is very, <laughs> needs to be held accountable too, right? Our media is incredibly biased and unfair and paid off. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> it's, it's completely unfair. I actually had a guy do an article on me, called me as a journalist. Very, very nice. I mean, you could have thought we're best friends for years. And then um, he writes the article and calls me every bad name in the book. And I was like, what the heck? And I wrote him back and I was like, you know what? Even though our politics don't agree, I appreciate the work you do. I'm like, I hope that makes you feel bad for being such a loser. And being just these typical journalists, right? 
that are just incredibly biased. It's not their job. Your job's not to be biased. Your job is to report the facts without your inserted opinion, period. That's it. Oh, I, I agree. I, and, to, and to change what you had said is unethical. There's so it's completely unethical. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's not beneath them. So everyone should just know that. It's, it's just not beneath the media to re refuse to report on, on issues that are very concerning for a lot of us. And then on top of that, and on top of that be fake news, right? And report things that just aren't true or twist them to, be, to fit their own narrative. Exactly. Exactly. I don't want to tie up your whole day. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah. yeah. Um, if you want to visit my website at builderclaire.com and visit me on Facebook at Builder Claire, Claire Worth, um, I would love to have your support. Follow me, reach out, you can send me an email, um, claire at district4ky.com. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, great. Well, hey, don't jump off, okay? Okay. Uh, La Miguel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petri, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again in the future for another exciting episode. Thank you again, Claire. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.